post-COVID to uh, some of the greatest spots on planet Earth. Maybe you go off to the Taj Mahal in India with your bride. Maybe you go to the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Or maybe you go see Christ the Redeemer in Brazil. But if you live in 50 AD and you want to go to some of the greatest sites known to man, you would go to what we now call the seven ancient wonders of the world. The seven ancient wonders of the world. And so maybe you go see the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. Or you venture over to Iraq and see the hanging gardens of Babylon. Maybe you go over to Greece and see the statue of Zeus, one of the seven. Or go see the burial place of Halicarnassus. Maybe you go back to Egypt and you see the lighthouse of Turkey. Or I'm sorry, the lighthouse of Alexandria just over the borders of Turkey. Or maybe you go to the Colossi of Rhodes... But the seventh one shines far greater than all the others. Maybe you then go back to Turkey, to the greatest of the seven, the Temple of Artemis. It's located in modern-day Turkey in a city called Ephesus. And it was the greatest temple to any god or any goddess ever built in the world. It took them 60 years. They shipped marble in from all over the known world, and its one goal was to provide worship for the goddess Artemis, who's the goddess of fertility. There was an explorer by the name of Philon who actually saw all seven ancient wonders of the world. He saw all seven, and here's what he said, and I read, Philon says this, I have seen the hanging gardens of Babylon, the statues of Zeus, the Colossi of Rhodes. I've seen the mighty pyramids. But when I saw the temple of Artemis in Ephesus rising to the clouds, all these other wonders were put to shame. When I saw the rising of Artemis, all these other wonders, wonders were put to shame again artemis the god of fertility the world worshipped artemis the hub of the worship was ephesus which is why ironically in all of paul's travels guess which city he spent more time in than any other city more than Corinth or Thessalonica, more than Galatia. He spent more time, two years he spent in the city of Ephesus because he could see from his study the temple of Artemis. He could see the ships going out bearing the idols to take to the known world. And so he sets in Ephesus for two years making disciples. And that's our passage this morning. We're going we're gonna to be in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, when Paul is in Ephesus and literally comes face to face with the idol makers of Artemis. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. Verse 23, here it is, and I read. It says this, After two years in Ephesus, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, 
he brought in a lot of business of this craftsman there. And he called them together along with the workers in related trade. So the problem occurs when a silversmith named Demetrius is like, wait a second, I'm losing business. Okay, like, I don't get many sales nowadays. And he's like, wait a second, there's actually a person in this city. He's a Christ follower. He's known as the people of the way. And, and, and they're actually causing people not to buy our stuff. So he goes to the other craftsmen. And he says to these other craftsmen who makes idols of Artemis. He says, listen, my fellow craftsmen, my friends, we receive a great income from this business. And you see and hear how this, this man, what's his, like Paul? He's convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. But not only in Ephesus, in Galatia, Thessalonica, Corinth. Matter of fact, he's all over Asia and he's telling people... This is what he's telling people. Artemis isn't God. I've heard him say it. And the craftsmen are like, are you kidding me? Who dare speak those words? You've heard him say it? Yes. And, and, and furthermore, there's danger not only of this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, it's right there. What would happen if that got destroyed? Because all the world worship her, not just in Asia, all the world. So when the craftsmen hear this, there's probably a few dozen, they start going down the street and they start chanting. They start crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And this, the whole city's like in confusion. Not only that, they, they were able, are you ready? These two dozen craftsmen idol makers were able to gather a crowd in the Ephesus Colosseum, the theater, which seats 25,000. I don't know what you're thinking of a theater, but it's probably not this one. 25,000 people come rushing into the theater. 25,000. Paul wanted to go in. The disciples were like, no. For two hours, the 25,000 people Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 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 They weren't saying it in English. They were saying it in Greek. Megali he Artemis of Ephesion. Megali he Artemis of Ephesion. Two hours of them shouting this. And the ruler of the city, known as the town clerk, who's actually the highest qualified of the city, starts freaking out. He's like, this is an unlawful gathering. And if Rome finds out, they might send military action. The town clerk quiets the crowd. Men of Ephesus, first of all, after two hours, calm down. Who does not know if Ephesus is the keeper of Artemis? Like everybody on planet Earth knows we're okay. Artemis worship of all the things secured is secure. But you have brought these men here, neither sacrilegious or blasphemers or, of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius, the one who started it all, 
If the craftsmen have a complaint against him, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, let it be settled in another assembly. We can't let Rome find out. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So just to recap, Paul spends two years in Ephesus. Ephesus is the keeper of Artemis. After two years, these Christ followers known as people of the way, these craftsmen are like, we're losing business. Demetrius gathers 12 or a dozen or so. The dozen turns into 25,000. The 25,000 turns into two hours of chanting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. If you lived in Ephesus in 50 AD and were discipled personally by Paul the Apostle, never in your craziest prayers would you think one day Artemis worship would be no more. If you were personally discipled by Paul the Apostle in Ephesus and someone said to you, you know, one day Artemis worship will be no more, you would have no category for what that would look like. My wife and I, we were in Turkey. We took a bus to Ephesus. Once in the city, we hired a driver. We said to the driver, take us to the Colosseum where they shouted, great is Artemis, for two hours. I sat in the seat of one of the 25,000. I then said to the driver, I said, I want to see the glory of the temple of Artemis. How far away is the seventh ancient wonder of the world that puts them all to shame? And he said, 15 minutes. And I said, take us there. And he said, okay. I stood before the temple of Artemis. And as I'm standing there, I said to the driver these words. Where is it? He says, it's there. I said, to where? He said, it's there. Because all I was looking at was a completely empty field. A makeshift pond had formed. The only remnants of the temple of Artemis, the wonder of the world, was a broken off pillar, barely sticking out of the ground. And on top of the pillar were two turtles. My wife snapped a picture. I call it two turtles on a broken pillar. Now at that time, my wife and I were living in the Middle East and we were living among a people group of 900,000 Muslims with no known Christ followers. And never in my wildest prayers would I have ever have thought that one day Islam will be no more. Just in the same way as these people in Ephesus would never have thought this is whom the world worships. We've been through 60 countries of the world. We've got thousands of photos stored somewhere in the cloud. But my favorite of them all is the two turtles on a broken pillar. Why? Because it reminds me, God is in the business of shifting the shouts. He's in the business of shifting the shouts. That's what he does. 
and he invites us in to shifting the shouts. We partake in that ministry. Think about that. He wants to shift the shouts. It shows me just how great and mighty the Lord is. Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. First Chronicles 29, yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, the splendor. Everything on earth and heaven and under the earth is yours, Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Your exalted head over all. Philippians 2. God exalted Jesus to the highest place, giving him the name greater than Artemis. He is greater than Artemis. And every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. This morning, 1.2 billion Muslims in 50 countries, two out of every seven people breathing, woke up and shouted this, La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasul Allah. Great is Allah and his prophet Muhammad. One day, Islam will be no more. This morning, 950 million Hindus woke up and shouted, Great is Shiva, great is Ganesh, Great is Vishnu. One day, Shiva and Ganesh and Vishnu will be no more. This morning, 650 million Buddhists woke up and said, Great is Buddha. Great is Buddha. One day, Buddhism will be no more. This morning, 300 million Confucius woke up and said, Great is Confucius. Great is Confucius. One day... Confucianism will be no more. This morning, 250 Taoists woke up and yelled, Great is Lao Tzu! Great is Lao Tzu! One day, Taoism will be no more. Great is Artemis! Great is Artemis! Great is Artemis! Never in their wildest prayers would they have thought the shouts would shift. I googled. I googled how many worshipers of Artemis today. The answer? Zero. Zero. We serve a God who is shifting the shouts. But what happens as a Christ follower? I get comfortable in my community, my self-enclosure. It's not my ministry. It's not my problem. And so unfortunately, the vast majority of every Christ follower you know, when it comes to helping to shift the shouts, do nothing. They don't go. They don't pray. They don't evangelize. They don't welcome. They don't share their faith. They don't give financially. They simply hibernate until heaven. And God is inviting us to shift the shouts. I have a friend of mine named Brooks Buser. And Brooks Buser, he is a missionary north of Australia in a country called Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is made up of 800 languages. And the vast majority of those have no known Bibles in their language. And Brooks Buser from San Diego says, I want to go and I want to translate the New Testament into the Yimbi Yimbi people. Him and his wife, his kids, they moved to Papua New Guinea. They build a hut in the Yimbi Yimbi people. It's an 11-year commitment to get the New Testament written. Four years to learn the language and then the remainder to translate. 
And he said to me, he's like, year five, we kept getting letters from neighboring tribes requesting missionaries. They heard that the Yimby Yimby were getting God's talk, and these other tribes wanted God's talk. And Brooks, who's like, man, there's no missionaries coming. Like, there's none in the pipeline to the vast majority. He knew these letters, it's going to be years before they would ever get answered. But the Gadanambu peoples just north of them kept sending letters. Come to us, give us God talk. Come to us, give us God talk. So Brooks, he's in year five of his translation. He can't move there. There's no one from the, the west coming. But he's like, we got to at least go and survey the land of the Gatanambu so that we can get information back to America. He decides to take the chief of the Yembe Yembe because the chief had become a Christ follower and had white hair, which is a sign of respect. He decides to take the chief of the Yembe Yembe to the, the long, arduous journey to the Gatanambu. He said when they got there, Brooks was like, we had to get two different translators just to learn what we were discussing. We couldn't even talk to him. It was that difficult. He said, we were entering the village, and all of a sudden I heard drums. Boom, 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 boom. The chief of the Yembe Yembe's, who Brooks brought with him, looks at Brooks and says, hey, Brooks, do you know why they're banging the drums? Brooks is like, I have no idea. The MBMB chief said, they're banging the drums because it's a sound of celebration. They think you're their missionary who's come. And Brooks is like, but I'm not. And the tribal chief says, we need to explain that very carefully. Once they meet the chief of the Gatanambus, they set Brooks and the MBMB chief down in the hut of the chief tribe. Everybody in the village comes over to the windows. Brooks tells me, he's like, man, they set me between his two wives. Both had no teeth and white hair. And uh, so it's like, you know, the wife of the chief leader, the Yimbi Yimbi chief, Brooks, and the other wife. And the Gatanambu chief comes up to them and says, we now know you're not our missionary. We know that. But how long until we get our missionary?" And Brooks, who knows there's no one in the pipeline, looks at the Gatanambu chief and says, so long. It's going to be so long. And the Gatanambu chief says, how many moons until we get our missionary? So many moons. So many moons. And the Gatanambu chief, give me a number. How many moons? And at that time, the Yembe chief, who was a Christ follower, taps Brooks on the knee and says, let me answer this. And he stands up and he says to the village, he says, look around. When everyone in your village with white hair dies, then your missionary will come. For that's what happened with our village, and that's what will happen with yours. Brooks told that story seven years ago there's still yet to be a missionary to the Gatanambu and God invites us to shift the shouts what an incredible privilege yet listen to this stat I heard recently 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ 93% have never tried that's a tragedy 
why have we not tried? Maybe we're fearful, we're untrained, we're, we, we don't know lost people, maybe we live in hibernation, maybe we're waiting for heaven. But to say 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ and 93% have never tried, God is inviting us to shift the shouts. We see it in Acts 19. He can and will do it. He wants to do it, and he wants to use us. I have a friend of mine named Hudson. He's at work. He's like, I, I need to get to know lost people. He, so so he, he starts looking with eyes to see. One of his cohort, one of the guys he sees is a Chinese guy from China working at his company. And he's like, uh, what's your name? And the Chinese tells him his Chinese name, and Hudson can't repeat it. He's like, ah, okay. And the Chinese guy's, well, you can call me Samuel. I've taken that as my name. And so he's like, oh, thank you, Samuel. And Hudson, again, he just wants to be a part of shifting the shout. So he's like, okay, I've never shared Christ with the Chinese. I don't know Mandarin. I've never been to China. He, he said to me over a text, he's like, Todd, I'm buying this guy a Bible in Mandarin, and I'm going to ask him to meet for lunch and to see if you have any questions as he reads it. That was his evangelization strategy, buy a Bible in his language and then meet with him for lunch. Three meetings later, Samuel became a Christ follower. Three meetings later. Three. Samuel goes back home for Christmas to be with his family, comes back to meet with Hudson after break and says, oh, I led my mother and father to Christ. He gets baptized in our church. Our church is taking a three-week mission trip with seven families to China. Samuel finds out about it and says, can I lead the trip? It's near my hometown. When we ask you to get involved in shifting the shouts, I'm not asking you to buy a passport, sell everything you have, move to the Middle East, and learn Arabic. I'm asking you to have eyes to see the people on your kid's soccer team, to have eyes to see people at your work, to have eyes to see sitting at the library kiddos, people from other cultures, to have eyes to see what God wants you to do. But you remember... Why is it that the average Christ follower does nothing? Remember what caused the whole stir to begin with. Demetrius was concerned with one issue. What was Demetrius the craftsman concerned with? Money. Money. That was the deal. We're losing money. And I think for me to be very vulnerable for these 30 seconds, I think for me as a white wealthy westerner, I have three C's that I love. I revolve my life around these three C's. I heart these three C's. And they are comfort, convenience, and kids. I love the three C's. I love them. I love comfort. I love convenience. I love my kids. But when you in get involved in shifting the shouts, God moves you out of your comfort. He is inconveniencing you. And guess what? He wants you to raise his ki your kids to be people who shift the shouts as well. There was a scholar of the Greek gods of Asia. He wrote a paper on Artemis and the history of Artemis. Roughly 10 pages, I read the entire paper. What struck me was the last line of the 10 pages of the scholar who wrote about the Greek goddess Artemis. And I quote the last line of the 10 pages. Christianity brought an end to Artemis worship. Christianity brought an end to Artemis worship. God wants to shift the shouts. He wants to use you to do it. 
two years ago I was in China. I only say that to impress you. I was there not for a mission trip, and I was there not for vacation. I was there to, to adopt our sixth child. His name is Wei Zhang Dang. I couldn't say it correctly, so we decided to call him Noble. And we got Noble. We took him back to the Hilton. And they said, the social worker told us, take him swimming immediately. It'll provide bond, you know, bonding as he has to hold on, at least he die. And so um, I got my swim cap, my swim trunks, his swim cap, his swim trunks. We went down the elevator, pushing all the buttons. We go out to the pool. And now this pool at the Hilton is like Olympic size. And whatever you're picturing, it's better. Okay, so whatever you're picturing is not adequate. And I go there, and I jump in, and I'm throwing him in the air. Now, he speaks no English, and all he's saying is one word in Mandarin, koala, 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 I don't know. I'm throwing him in the air, and he's going underwater for an extended period of time, maybe lengthy, and he just comes up and koala, koala. I think it means again. It could mean stop. What do I care? I don't know Chinese. And say, koala, koala, and I'm just laughing, and I'm hoping it means again. And um, the only other person in the pool is Randar Chinese guy sporting a Speedo all the way down at the other end of the pool. And his wife's on social media, you know, sitting in a chair. And all, I'm way, I, did I tell you it's an Olympic size? Did I tell you whatever picturing is better? And I'm throwing, voila, voila. And all of a sudden, this Randar Chinese dude in a Speedo starts walking over to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. He gets uncomfortably close. No nanu nanu. You know, he's uncomfortably close. And uh, uh, he comes up to me. And he goes, you remind me. He goes, you remind me. English bad. And he walks over to his wife and motions to her for her phone. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, if one more Chinese dude Googles Jack Black, I'm going to be livid, you know? <sighs> so he brings his cell phone over in the pool. He goes, you remind me. He turns the phone around. There's a Chinese symbol, and underneath it, the English word, Christian. He said, you remind me of a Christian. He said, I, Christian, three years ago. God is shifting the shouts. 1940, there was maybe 10 million Chinese who were Christ's followers. Today, over 100 million. The government won't even print the statistics. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 30 years than the previous 1,300. More Muslims have come to Christ in the previous 30 years since the birth of Muhammad over the first 1,300 years of its existence. There's still millions of Chinese that need to have their shouts shifted. There's still millions of Muslims that need to have their shouts shifted. Paul Williams. Paul Williams is the leading scholar for the known Buddhist world. He's written seven books on Buddhism. He is a Buddhist himself. He counsels the Dalai Lama on what books that the Dalai Lama should endorse. He's the leader of the Center for Buddhist Studies in England. And a few years ago, something happened to Paul Williams. He became a Christ follower. 
And the leading scholar of the known Buddhist world wrote a book about his journey. He called it An Unexpected Way. God is shifting the shouts, but he wants our involvement. He wants our involvement. And so this is going to be a fun week. We're going to have time to relax, time to, time to connect, tons of ice cream, amazing meals. And isn't it incredible? I was just thinking how God has used this place to shift the shouts over the last 100 years. My own children's shouts have shifted, not even from my home in Fayetteville, Arkansas, but literally from here. Something is stirring, and we get to play a part. Thank you, counselors, for giving your summer to serve us, to watch our children come to faith, and we get to validate as you speak into their lives. But my, my question this week that I want us to talk about is this. Are we actively sharing our faith? Are we involved? Are we involved? And I think for some of us, we might want to, but maybe you're like me and you're just like so sheltered in your faith. I mean, I don't, I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to meet lost people. I have to go out of my way. I work for, with Christians. I homeschool my kids. I eat lunch at Chick-fil-A. I mean, I'm just Jesus to the core. I, I heard a guy cuss in the eighth grade. Like, that's it, okay? That's how sheltered I am. And I, I, I think he said the S word, shut up. I don't know. But I heard the guy, and he said something. I mean, I am literally bubbled in my beliefs. And so I have to, some, like some of you guys, you about, man, it's hard for me to meet lost people. Put yourself out there. My wife, I'm so proud of her. She had a homeschool mom, works with Christians. But man, she's like, I'm going to join the gym and do some classes. And that's been one of our greatest ministry opportunities. So just think this week, are you engaged in shifting the shouts? God wants to use us all. Maybe we need to learn how to share, share our faith. I mean, I'll tell you what, Big Life has an unbelievable tool they're going to share this week, a very practical tool that you can share the gospel within like three minutes with someone, and they're going to not only show us how to do it, they're going to give us the resources to do it, and then if we want, they're going to set up a time where we can practice doing it. Like, oh my goodness. So of all, get another tool in your tool, tool belt. Are we sharing our faith? Do we meet lost people? Are we giving financially? I mean, oh my goodness. That's such a sticky point. Do you know the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning? The first thing I do? The first thing I do. This is the first thing I do. I grab my phone, and I actually have an app that I can see my savings. And I check it. I just make sure it's there. I don't know what would have happened to it, but who knows, you know. And I just speak to it. Grow. Grow, little guy grow. I mean, I'm like tethered to my savings. But when you get involved in shifting the shouts, God wants you to give sacrificially. And so it messes not only with your comfort, your convenience, your kids, but also your checking. That's another C. <laughs> or, I mean, what about this? Just praying for the world. I mean, there's an unbelievable app. It's called, it's called the Unreached of the Day. We have it on our phones. It, 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 we, we set our alarm, you know, twice a day or once a day. Just, just Every unreached people group who doesn't have a, a person who knows Christ is on this website with profiles. Or what about your kiddos? I mean, I, we have six kids, right? How are we training them to sh be raised and shifting the shouts? Because guess what? If you live in America, congratulations, you live in the Disneyland of the universe. 
And now we have to encourage our kids, hey, it's not about, all about you and your wants and, and what you want to do. There's a world out there waiting for you. And that's what we try to speak into our kids. There's a, there's a, a website called PrayerCast. Every country in the world has a three-minute video of how your kids can, and you can pray through it. Five days a week, my wife, because she's way more spiritual than I am, she gets all our kids together, they watch a video, they go in alphabetical order, and they hit play. And they just spend time, each one praying for these countries. We want to tell our kids, if God has you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. Oh, but how many Christ followers when it comes to their kids being missionaries? <laughs> oh, 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 no way. No way. I mean, we just recently came across a stat. Maybe this is interesting, maybe it's not. 98.5% of all Christ-following parents will spend three to six months trying to talk their child out of being a missionary if they have that desire. Let me say it again. About 98% of all Christ-following parents will spend about three to six months. They give it three to six. After that, they kind of tailor off to talk their child if God has them to be a missionary. They try to talk them out of it. I mean, you may have heard it, or maybe you've said it, or maybe you've experienced it. You know, someone, I'm going to be a missionary. And immediately, mom and dad are like, <laughs> uh, no. Um, there's look around. There's needs here. Um, no. Do you have any doubt? If you have doubt, then you shouldn't go. You should live in our basement and work at Starbucks. Um, have you told your dad this? Do not. He's going to freak. Do not tell your sister. Are you trying to prove something? Do you feel like you couldn't get a real job? Are you going to raise support? How are you going to pay for this? Don't expect your mom and dad and I to, don't expect your dad and I to pay for this. Like, we're not going to pay for it. Like, what do you, you're not even, you don't even travel. You don't wear Toms. You don't do anything missional. Like, why now all of a sudden do you want to go over there? Like, I'm confused. Like, wouldn't you think if, if you had a call to go overseas, God would speak to your parents first? We're hearing nothing. I'm actually hearing use your engineer degree in Evansville. That's what I'm hearing. What are you, I don't understand. What are you going to do about your debt? You think we're going to pay for it? Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to let you do what you want to do, but I just feel like i got to say this. If you go overseas, you're going to die single. You will die single. And that's going to affect your dad and I as we don't have grandkids. And here it is. You know, we might be so into comfort, convenience, kids, and checking, and our God's stirring our hearts of the kids, and we are the ones who are like, no, you're not. We say around our house, children are arrows, and arrows were meant to fly. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be clicking my heels together when my lovely daughter turns 18 and wants to go to Iraq to be a missionary. That's not going to be a happy day for me, but a worse day is going to be when she marries the wrong guy, spirals downward in self-absorption, and forgets God. I'm not going to be happy when she's like, I'm going to Iraq for seven months to learn Farsi. I'm going to be like, oh. so I'm with you on the difficulties, but I want God to use them to shift the shouts. Where have the shouts not shifted? You're going to hear this all week, the 1040 window, the least reached peoples on the planet. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up, stretches across North Africa, 
Turkey, the Middle East, and Asia. In this box is 62 countries. Every major world religion started here. And in this box, 88% of those who will be born, live, and die will never meet a Christian. 88% will never meet a Christian. And so, again, many of the 1040 window now live in your city. Do you have eyes to see? Are you watching them? Are you ministering to them? We live about a mile from the University of Arkansas, so I started my journey here two days ago. It's about a 15-hour drive to get here. And um, every Monday night, my wife has 22 college girls that meet in the living room, and she disciples them. Every Wednesday morning, I have about 20 college students at University of Arkansas who I meet with. And um, we decided over Christmas to have a Christmas international party. And the ticket to get into our house to receive food, you had to bring an international student. Just to kind of force everybody's hand that, hey, if you don't know an international student, if you want to come to our house over a Christmas party, you got to. And man, people showed up. I mean, I was shocked. Pakistanis, we had, we had Japanese, we had Chinese, we had Singaporeanese. I mean, we had all, the, we had all the, I mean, literally, I look over at my Christmas tree and like the Japanese girls are giggling. And, you know, and so we were like, we just really wanted to teach them the truth about Christmas, the reason of Christmas. Cocoa, cookies, and caroling. Just the true meaning. And so we, uh, Halfway through the time, you know, there's 70 people. Halfway through the time, I, I say, hey, everybody, I stand up on the couch, and I say, listen, every American over Christmas, one of the things we love to do is to go door-to-door in Christmas carol, and I've printed off in English the top four Christmas carols, and I looked at Ahmed from Saudi Arabia, and I thought, especially in today's day and age, it'd be great if he took the lead and rang the doorbell, and um, so I put him in charge. And so Ahmed from Saudi Arabia, we head out, we go across the street to my neighbors, um, John and Steph. Ahmed rings the doorbell. John and Steph are like, what's going on? And it is the United Nations singing Rudolph. I mean, I was like, I kind of got a teary eye. I was like, this is awesome. Ahmed's like, Rudolph. You know, just what, and, and I was like, this is awesome. Well, after we sang, John and Steph did something that, that blew me away. John and Steph said, grab our coats, kids. Let's join them. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Now it's 70 United Nations students plus John and Steph and me. My son Noble, you know, the Chinese kid, he's running around going, koala, koala, koala. The guy from China is like, why is he telling everybody to stop? I'm like, I don't know. Is that what that means? Great. And so um, we go to the neighbor's house. We go to, we, we go to the neighbor next to Gene. We go to Gene and Candy's house. And we ring their doorbell. And man, Ahmed leads us in jingle bells. And I'm like, this is awesome. United Nations, me, Jess, voila. We have, we've got uh, John and Steph. And then Gene and Candy, they're like, grab the grandkids. And they join us. And I'm like, oh my goodness. We go across the street. And as I'm crossing the street, I notice something. The porch lights go out. The blinds shut. The upstairs lights go out. And Ahmed rings the doorbell. And nobody comes to the door. And Ahmed looks at me and says, what do you want to do? And I said, you're in charge. 
And he said, let's sing anyway. And to a dark house, we sang Silent Night. The nation's shouts are going to shift. The question is, are we going to be involved? And are we going to encourage our kids to be involved? And so, Father, thank you for this 100 years of this unbelievable, unique ministry that we all in this room have been blessed by. I pray this week you would encourage us with some practical steps of how we could play a part of that Acts 19 moment to see the shifting of worship onto you. We ask this in your name. Amen.